And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a fantastic weekend. Uh, great show today. I was joined by my good friend Greg Price from The Daily Caller. Uh, it's always a great time talking to Greg. We covered, uh, y- you guys know how these Monday shows work. There's a ton of ground to cover, uh, and we did the best we could with the limited amount of time we had. <laughs> I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, before I get to Greg, uh, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Uh, you can follow my personal account also at Brady Leonard. Uh, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. Uh, if you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks podcast. Oh, yeah, and uh, Parler. If you're on Parler, uh, I'm over on Parler as well at Brady Leonard. Uh, so definitely uh, hit me up over there as well. All right, without further ado, here's my chat with Greg Price. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with my friend Greg Price. Greg, my brother, how you doing? Good, man. Good to be back on you with Brady. Good to be back on with you, Brady. It's been a while. Yeah, man, it has. It has. So, a ton to a ton to get to as always, man. Monday shows are always rough. Um, a ton to get to. Uh, let's start a few days back. I think this was uh, the the interview I'm I'm referring to. I believe was Friday. Um, but Dr. Anthony Fauci, the head of the uh, the pandemic task force, White House task force, uh, has been praising New York and specifically Andrew Cuomo, uh, in their handling of the pandemic in interviews lately. Um, Look, Andrew Cuomo sent thousands of elderly New Yorkers to the grave with his nursing home order. I mean, it's just pure insanity. It's impossible to praise Cuomo unless you're either an idiot or you're up to something nefarious. And say what you want about Dr. Fauci, but he's no moron. I mean, this is an intelligent human being. So Here's a bold prediction for you, Greg. Uh, well, all right, not even a prediction. How about over-under? Let's do over-under, you tell me, over or under. 15% chance that Dr. Anthony Fauci is Joe Biden's running mate. What do you think? So uh, remember, remember this was like two years ago, right before the election started, and I, I told you on the podcast that Pete Buttigieg had a really good chance to be the Democratic nominee. And what did you bet me? You bet me like, what, like, couple billion. million dollars something like that yeah yeah all right so i'll do that here if, if anthony fauci becomes joe biden's running mate i will i will pay you i don't know i'll just say i'll i'll, I'll pay you one million dollars if if anthony fauci ends up being joe biden's running mate nice so you're pretty confident uh that that he won't be see like i I've, think you get my point that would you be totally shocked i mean like it's he's up to something man. you cannot praise new york I mean, even as of now, like even with, you know, spikes in, in southern states, spikes out in California, it's like New York's deaths per 100,000. It's still something like 10 times that of Texas, 15 times that of Florida, something like that. Like by any metric, Andrew Cuomo did a horrible job, worse than any other governor in the country. Uh, so yeah, it's like yeah. he's up to something, man. Fauci, he's not he's no moron. Like he is up to something nefarious here. I mean, what has always been the problem with Fauci is that he. He understands diseases. He understands, you know, he's an epidemiologist. He's not an economist. He's not a politician. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand, like, how 
public policy affects people. All he understands is, here's this disease. This is what we have to do to stop it. And the big problem is, okay, that's we can listen to his advice on what he says about the disease because you know he's the expert in that field. But it, it, you can't telling people they have to remain locked down until we have a vaccine is never is not something that is ever going to happen. Telling people, you know, you know, telling people we're going to lock down again after after they've been you know out and about for for weeks is not something that's going to happen. And so, like. I appreciate I, I appreciate the thing his like his insights on what we need to do to stop the disease, but he's been wrong about so many things that his mo- the models have always changed, and and like again the biggest problem with him is he doesn't understand how the things he advocates for actually affects people because he doesn't have to live he doesn't have to live in a world where the stuff he's advocating for is affecting him. All he understands is we have a disease, this is what we have to do to to stop the spread of it. And the whole New York thing, yeah, that that just that was just ridiculous. I mean, you, there's the only way you could ever defend Andrew, what Andrew Cuomo did in New York is if you're is if you're politically motivated, is if you're is if you're trying to cover for him because he's a Democrat. Even Jake Tapper did a whole segment, right, sh- like just shitting on shitting on Andrew Cuomo's response. And yeah, you know, that was really that was really strange to me. We've you know at the caller we've done some really good reporting on what's been going. On, on what's been going on in New York, how they've how they've hidden the numbers, how how um, all the people who've died in nursing homes, not all of them were even accounted for because they changed they changed the way they counted it at, at, at like re, like right after Cuomo signed that order. So like by any objective standard, Andrew Cuomo did a bad job, and it was very strange to watch Fauci praise New York's response. Yeah, and I was always. I was always on the side of like, you know, giving Fauci the benefit of the doubt, you know, like I know a lot of conservatives are, are you know, they've been, you know, they've been uh, black pilled on, on Fauci for a long time saying that he's a political animal and he's you know out to get Trump or whatever. And I've always pushed back and said, no, that's not true. You know, he's well-intentioned, you know, he, he, but like you said, you know, but he's not a policy man, you know, he's a, he's an epidemiologist. He, you know, he's staying in his lane and giving just the doctor, you know, answer, you know, and he's admitted, you know, I shouldn't be making public policy, blah, blah, blah. But, like, when you invoke New York, you know what I mean? It's like my spidey sense goes up because, like, he's he's smarter than that. Like, he knows that's a lie. He knows that's not true. He knows he shouldn't be praising Andrew Cuomo. He knows, you know, the disastrous policies that, that have caused the deaths of thousands, maybe tens of thousands of New Yorkers. He knows that. But he's saying it anyway. And so it's like when you invoke New York, you're up to something. And, like— I, I hate the the worship of experts, quote unquote experts generally, because Fauci not not only like you said has been wrong a lot. I mean he he's basically been you know he's at local weatherman levels of accuracy so far. Just not 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 been a banner year for Dr. Fauci, but he is a politician. Like he is a political animal. Like he's been in Washington for decades, and it's the same with the generals, right? You know, trust the general, the quote unquote generals. You know, the the quote unquote generals say we can't leave Afghanistan ever. You know, it's like, okay, well, these, these guys, they're not just generals. They've been in, you know, it's the, 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 the typical characters that have been in four or five administrations, you know, going back to the, the 80s or 90s, you know what I mean? Like, these guys, they're embedded in the system. Washington changes get, changes people, right? They aren't just generals anymore. They are political animals. They are, for all intents and purposes, politicians. And I think it's the same with guys like like Fauci. They aren't just experts. They they wouldn't have survived in Washington for this long if they weren't playing politics. And I think that's what we're seeing here now. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, 
he's been he's you know he's been at the forefront of pretty much every major public health crisis of the last like few decades. He was out there in the AIDS crisis, and you're right. Like when you're, you're when you're a government bureau when you're you spent your life as a government bureaucrat, you you learn how the system works and you learn how to make it work to your advantage. And I mean, I, and so like I think a really big mistake that like. I guess politicians made and that people in the media kept straw manning people on is that you had to listen to Dr. Fauci. You had to listen to everything is everything he said was true. He's the expert. Everything he says you have to listen to and whatever. And I think that that was just a really big mistake because like I said, he doesn't have to live in the type with the type of policies that he advocated for. And, and so because, and just because, because the media hates Trump so much and we're so out to get Trump that when, when it became clear that Fauci had been wrong about a lot of stuff, they still they still said that it was like you couldn't question him. You, they still said that like you couldn't you had to listen to everything he said, and you and like we should listen to what the experts on the diseases have to say. But but the biggest mistake people made was that they basically became pseudo politicians where they were making policy for the entire country, and their word was unquestionable in the eyes of the media, and. You know, I, I, you know, I appreciate that he did a lot to, you know, help us fight through the fight through coronavirus. But but, you know, he was wrong about too many things. And like which is why I'm glad that the administration finally, you know, reeled him in and brought him back out of the spotlight. And we've at least at least a lot, a lot of states have started our base are, are starting to get back to normal. You're probably right that. Fauci won't be Biden's running mate. You probably won't need to write me a check for a million dollars. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the thing is, here's the sad thing about the state of American politics. Let's say not even that, you know, Fauci becomes Joe Biden's running mate or whatever. Uh, but if he just quits his job at the White House and, and becomes a campaign surrogate for Biden or whatever, and the Biden team makes it a, a single issue campaign uh, talking exclusively about the coronavirus and and just lying about Trump's response saying Trump didn't handle it right, which is by and large, false. Like you know, Trump, the administration did basically most most of the right things. If if anything, they were too heavy handed. Um, but if they make it a single issue campaign, they bring Fauci on stage to to speak against how bad his former boss Trump was. Biden wins in a landslide. Trump loses Texas. Trump loses Ohio, Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina. I mean, because the people like. The people are buying into the Democratic propaganda that, you know, Trump has blood on his hands or whatever. You know, like Andrew Cuomo has a 70 percent approval rating in New York. OK. And Trump has like a 40 percent approval rating nationally. Like they're buying into the the leftist propaganda. If Fauci does go full politician, endorses Biden and stuff like that, Trump is a one term president. I mean, it, like it, it would be it would all be a lie. It would be BS, but it would work unfortunately, because there's a lot of low information voters out there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know about that because like, I, I could see that, that that's a scenario I could see more than him becoming uh, Joe Biden's running mate, as you predicted earlier. But, but I think, I, I mean, I think part of Fauci's appeal is not, is that he's seen as sort of not a politically motivated guy as sort of like a neutral, you know, fact, giver about okay here's the virus here's what we have to do and if you were to go i don't know how the public would react if he went full politician i know how the media would react but i think but i think at this point the pub like the public at large is getting sick of being told that they have to stay in their homes forever i think they're getting i think people are are starting just to get sick of this crap 
And so I think I don't know if Fauci going full full politician would have the effect that that you think it does, because I don't think I think people at first were open to the idea of listening to him up to what he had to say and, you know, treating him as if like he's just our friendly old grandpa trying to help us trying to help us through the virus. But I think at this point, people are people are tired of it. And I think I think he, they would just I think people are annoyed by, you know, the, the ever changing models and the ever changing predictions. And so if if Fauci were to actually go and endorse Joe Biden, I don't th- I don't know if that would help him, really. I don't know. I don't I don't know about that. I hope you're right. <laughs> I don't know. I think it could go either way, but I def- I sincerely hope you're right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, all right. Ne- next thing I wanted to hit today, obviously this is of no shock to either of us and shouldn't be shocking to anybody listening to this podcast. Um, but the left and the press, and it, it, it's because they control 97% of media. They control all of Hollywood, the Academy, everything else. They've won the culture war, more or less. You know, they have no idea. The press, the the left and the press have no idea what conservatives or libertarians believe. We know exactly what they think and why they think that, and they know nothing about us. They know nothing about the right at all. And that's on full display right now. In the least surprising news ever, my former governor, John Kasich, <laughs> uh, apparently will be speaking at the Democratic National Convention and campaigning with Joe Biden. He's endorsed Joe Biden. I mean, first of all, ask Joe Lieberman how effective an endorsement is like that. He, you know, he spoke at the RNC in 2008 and endorsed John McCain, and McCain got blown out by Barack Obama. So I don't, I don't really think uh, Lieberman brought very many Democrats over. But, you know, the press runs with this. Says, Look at this serious Republican governor denouncing Trump. Kasich is as much a conservative as I am the Queen of England. Okay, but to the press, John Kasich is like the standard of conservatism. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, what's really funny about that is that Kasich is is kind of a he's an under discussed factor in how Trump ended up winning the GOP nomination in 2016. Oh yeah, because because when conserv when never Trump in 2016 was trying to stop Donald Trump, um, you know they had all, all rallied behind Ted Cruz and Kasich stayed in the race even though he had absolutely no chance of winning. Didn't even did he win Ohio in 2016? I think he did. He won yeah. Ohio he and won, he won one DC. State. <laughs> Yeah, he won. So he won. He had one state. He had one state. He had. He was never going to become the the nominee, but he stayed in the race as never Trump is rallying behind Ted Cruz to stop Donald Trump. And he dropped. He ended up dropping the instant Ted Cruz. The instant Ted Cruz dropped out, um, John Kasich also dropped out. So I, he played like a very big factor in getting Trump the GOP nomination. And so it's just funny to watch him argue that Trump represents some unique threat to American politics because, because his, because basically what he did when he was running for president in 2016, it like, it looked more like a guy who thought Cruz and Rubio were bigger dangers to the Republic than Trump, because he basically, he was one of the biggest reasons Trump got the nomination that Trump ended up get that Trump ended up getting it. And so it's just really funny to watch when he, the meat, because the media hates Trump so much, anybody who, who doesn't alone, line with Donald Trump will instantly become a darling of the mainstream media because they hate Trump's because they just hate Donald Trump so much. And so it's not surprising to watch them like point to John Kasich as a standard of what they think the Republican Party is. And it's just because, you know, D.C. and New York media has such like a narrow view of of what conservatives are and what Republicans are that like the only the only the the, peop- the only Republicans that are acceptable to them, that they are the ones that they meet at their cocktail parties. And 
that's not at all representative of what the GOP is in 2020 and what Republic and, you know, it's not representative of, you know, the ideas and the issues that Trump ran on and Trump got elected, which they've never understood and they never will understood because they don't live in that. They've never had to live in that world. Right. I mean, that's absolutely right. And I mean, never Trumpers are I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a pollster, but, you know, five percent of the Republican Party, five percent of conservatives nationally. But they are like. 50 or 60 percent of conservative media. Right. I mean, they are the only people yeah. that the, the corporate press, that the mainstream outlets, never Trumpers are the only conservatives that they'll hire to actually go on TV or to actually write columns for their magazines. And so, like, they, they're, they're trying to make it out like the never Trump movement is this large percentage of Republicanism or conservatism. And it's just not. I mean, they're a tiny yeah. percentage. They just have this outsized influence in the media. Um they don't. It's nobody. Nobody in the press or on the left understands how small of a group these people really are. And like, you know. Yeah. We we obviously crap on never Trumpers. You guys do over at the Daily Caller, and I do on this podcast all the time. I, I just want to clarify real quick, and I, I don't know if you you probably agree with me. Let me know if you don't. But like, I, I want to clarify again what bothers me about the never Trumpers. And it's, it has nothing to do with Trump. Like, I I voted for Trump. I'm voting for Trump again. I've endorsed Trump for re-election on this podcast. I do not care about Trump, though. I don't care. I don't care about Trump. I don't care about any politician. I do not care. You know, unless somebody, unless one of my friends or family members runs for office and wins, I will never care about a politician, <laughs> right? Like, I just do not, I do not care. I care about the yeah. values. I care about the principles. I care about the policies. And what bothers me about never Trumpers, what bothers me about guys like, you know, David French or Jonah Goldberg, and I still like these guys on some issues, but what bothers me about them isn't that they're not voting for Trump. I mean, let's take David French, for instance. And by the way, I've invited him on the show multiple times. I've never heard back. So I've tried to get him on to talk to him about this stuff. And, and you know, he never got back to me. But I don't care that he doesn't like Trump. I don't care that he's not voting for Trump. David French lives in Tennessee. Trump will win Tennessee by 300,000 votes. He's not going to lose it by one vote because David French didn't vote for him. Okay, like his vote does not matter. It's a deep red state. Who cares? You know what I mean? Jonah Goldberg lives in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is not voting for Trump. It, his vote doesn't count. Right. I, I, I it bothers me because I feel like these people have abandoned us. <laughs> like the, the values that Jonah Goldberg and David French have fought for their entire careers. David French literally fought for his country in combat. He's a combat veteran, you know, and he's, he's been writing about religious liberty and, and pro-life issues and all these things for decades. These values that they've been defending for decades are under attack by the left more so than at any point since Woodrow Wilson. You know what I mean? Like, they're coming for David French's values and principles. And David French is out there fighting windmills. Okay, like, we're, we're taking grenades in the trenches from the left right now, and I feel like these guys have abandoned us. They've abandoned their posts. Like, we're fighting back against the violent commies coming for the Bill of Rights, and they're out there, like Don Quixote, throwing punches at giant orange windmills with weird hair. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not that they don't like Trump. I don't care. Like, vote for whoever you want. That's none of my business. But can you actually fight back against the people that are coming for your values? It makes no sense to me. And that's what bothers me. It has nothing to do with Trump. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And like what, what I guess my big what I've always said about never Trump is that it's not really so much like like people in the media, like they trot out these people as if like it's some like movement to some widespread movement to uh, among the Republican Party to dispose Donald Trump because like. And so, like, what I've always thought was weird is that 
they constantly talk about how like Donald Trump is the biggest threat to the fabric of the country because he tweeted something dumb someday or he tweeted something really bad. And like, and so it, they, they have like, it's just, it's always Donald Trump's tweets. It's always his character. It's never the things that he's actually done as president, which, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of things Trump has done are probably things that David French and Jonah Goldberg agree with. Right. Um, but, and so like the real reason that the real reason that never Trump hates Trump so much is not so much of what type of person he is because American politics has always been divisive. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend Donald Trump is not, it doesn't say things that are divisive. He certainly does. But that Amer- that American politics has always been like that. Joe Biden was telling people in 2012 that Mitt Romney was going to put y'all back in chains. Like this, it's never been anything. It's never been politicians using divisive language is something that's, you know, never, it's, it's never, it's never been something new. The real reason that they don't like Donald Trump is because Donald Trump, Donald Trump's election in 2016 represented a shift, a shift in values and a shift, a shift in the Republican Party that went away from, from sort of the, you know, the, the classical liberal free market absolutist of the past and, and, you know, became, and it became an entirely new Republican Party. And it's because Donald Trump talked about issues like immigration. He talked about restructuring trade deals. He went against the market consensus on that. He went against a lot of consensus on a lot of issues that have been in the Republican Party when he won in 2016. And so never Trump is just butthurt that their side lost. That, yeah, that, you're, that, you're that, absolutely that there's, new, that there's a that there's a new Republican Party in town. They've always they've never been able to handle that fact about how their their version of what the Republican Party was is slowly becoming irrelevant. And because of that, they've just become the most insufferable people ever who, you know, for two years, we're talking about the Russia hoax instead of like an actual <laughs> issues that matter. Yeah. And the thing is, you're, you're absolutely right about that shift in the Republican Party. And some of that stuff I don't even agree with. Like, I, I like, well, one, my, my free market absolutism stops with China. I've decided. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would have said, you know, I'm a free market absolutist. Now I say I am a free market absolutist, but fuck China. Like, that's that's just where I draw the line. I'm like, all right, yeah. anything we if we can hurt China, I'm down, man. Even if it even if it violates my, you know, libertarian principles like I the, the Chinese Communist Party is the great evil of the modern world, man. You know what I mean? They've replaced yeah. the so- Soviet Union in that regard. And we got to stop them. So, like, I, but it, the thing is, you know, I'm not even I'm not with you know, like Tucker Carlson's economics. Like, I think he's wrong about a lot of that stuff. But the thing is, like, the, these never Trumpers and like the old school Republicans, like even and even people like me that don't like, I like some of the shifts in the Republican Party. I think a lot of them are beneficial and necessary. I think some of them are not. But even if you think that it's all bad, even if you are mourning the loss of your former party, you have to admit that it's your fault. Like you fail. Like Trump. It, Trump didn't come up and yeah. blow up the party. He reacted to the voters. He he reacted to what yeah. the voters care about. And like it's it's our fault. Like it's the thing is the things that yeah. we miss about the old Republican Party, it's our fault for not for fa- we failed. Like I failed. David French failed. Jonah Goldberg failed. Ben Shapiro failed. We all failed. And so we need to yeah. realize that, you know, that the the former brand of conservatism was failing. Like we were not winning elections. Like Mitt Romney got blown out, it's, it's, right? Like it's, it's not, not even that. It's it's not even that we weren't winning elections. Like there, there's there there have been very few issues that conservatives have won on in the last like four decades. Like it, basically, uh, 
a quick history of the conservative movement of the last four decades is that a lot of people have funded a lot of institutions to teach to teach to, to have people view conservatism in a certain way. And what has ended up happening is we've lost, you know, fam families in the families have deteriorated. We've lost on almost every cultural issue of the last like I can't think of a cultural issue that Republicans have won on. The left controls academia, they control the media, they control the narrative because of that. You know, we've we've basically been losing. And Donald Trump is essentially a reaction to people feeling discontent with the way the how the Republican Party's sole focus was on tax cuts. That it doesn't matter that it doesn't matter that people are that manufacturing jobs are being shipped overseas because you know they got a tax cut and like tax I like like tax cuts are fine with me but conservatism is not all about tax cuts and like that's people have been taught by institutions to view conservatism as solely about that sort of thing yeah you're and right Donald you're Trump is a, Donald Trump is essentially a reaction to all that and like if David French wants to know why Donald Trump came about go back to your article that you wrote in 2016 about why old manufacturing towns deserve to die essentially why you and kevin williamson writing about that in 2016 and that's why that's how we got that's how the republican party got donald trump because because the establishment party wrote all of those people off and they rallied behind the guy who actually talked about issues that matter to them and that's why he flipped three rust belt states that had voted that had voted blue since the 1980s and david french still understands that and, and david they still don't understand that because their version of what they want the republican party to be failed and they still are butthurt about that and that's why they hate, and that's the real reason they hate donald trump so much yeah and the thing is it, this is what the the left I, I think just the nature of progressivism allows them to be more flexible because i mean that is the, the definition of being a progressive uh it allows you to be more flexible than than a conservative but and like i don't even know if this populist wave you know the the it's not anti-free market, but it's, it doesn't champion free markets as much. You know, the Trumpist, you know, I, I don't yeah, know. If, it's not. I'll, I'll, it's, I'll, let, me, let me say this. I don't know if that is going to be the long-term, you know, model of conservatism in America. I don't know. But I do know it's not going to be the conservatism of the last couple decades. Like, that is yeah. over. Like, whether you're like it or not, like, that, that's what yeah. these never-Trumpers need to realize. I'm not saying you need to get on board 100%. Trumpism is the new Republican Party. I don't know if it will be. Who knows? I mean, it's kind of modeled uh, based on who your standard bearer is. So you don't really know if that's going to be the long-term solution. But your old party's never coming back, and you just need to accept that. And so that's fine. So accept that, move on, and try to transform the party into what you think it should be moving forward. Learn the lessons from your failure. Learn the lessons from your candidates losing to Trump and try to build on that in the future. Don't, you can't, you're not going to just shift the party back to the 1990s. That's just never going to happen. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, I wouldn't say like the new, sort of the new right, I wouldn't say it's anti, it's not anti-market at all. I would just say it doesn't view markets as like an absolute, they're not, they don't view markets as a god, but not as an absolute good. Like markets should be like a means to an end. They're not, they're not an end in, in of themselves. So I wouldn't say it's anti-market. And I just think, look, there, there's you, you got Republicans need to be able to read the room and say, you know, there's a new the, the ideas of the past have been failing and we need some new ideas in order to, you know, in order to win over new voters and in order to, you know, ensure that our ensure that our side keeps winning. Like we can't keep doing the same exact thing over and over again and expecting a different result. There's there's some. We need some. There need new ideas. The 2016 election should teach. Should tell people that 
we need to get on board with some new ideas or else or else the left is going to win. Like we're never going like we have to come at it with the mentality is the left is the enemy and they're trying to destroy us. So we need to destroy our enemy before they destroy before they, they destroy you. Yeah, man. And look, like I've been I've been punched in the face with a lot of these realities in the last six to eight months, too. No, I have. I have, too. I have, too. Because <laughs> I like I used to. I'm a single issue voter, and that, that that issue is the economy. Like I'm a I'm a Ludwig von Mises, Frederick Hayek guy, Murray Rothbard guy. Like I I do believe the economy is the be all end all. Like I will vote for the guy who wants to cut taxes and regulations the most. Like that is what's most important to me. And Andrew Claven over at the Daily Wire has written a lot about this, and he's talked about this on his program quite a bit. And man, I, anytime he does, it's like it's punching me, your boy Brady Leonard, right, but right in the face, man. Because that's something that I've missed and I've been wrong on. Like, you just can't quote Mises to a guy who's, whose brother just OD'd on heroin because his factory closed yeah. and he can't, you know, his prescription ran out and he's hooked on opiates and he's dead now. And, you know, his kids are fatherless and, and the, the church left because they, they couldn't pay the bills and the town's falling apart. And, you know, quoting Hayek to him is just not going to cut it. You know, and, and only yeah. talking about tax cuts is not going to cut it. And like, and that's the thing, you know, I, I like Ben Shapiro and all that. I think he's a brilliant guy. But, um, you know, like Trump didn't win on facts don't care about your feelings. Trump won on the opposite of that. <laughs> like yeah. Trump, Trump's message was I care about your feelings. You know, like immigrants are stealing your jobs. We need to close the border and your town is falling apart. We need to bring the jobs back from China. We got, you know, I care about you. You know, I hear you. I understand you. You know, I care about your feelings. It's not facts don't care about your feelings. That's not why Trump won. He actually won on the opposite. And I, I don't know if a lot of like Republican strategists have figured that out, but they should if they want to keep winning. Well, yeah, well, there's a huge pushback to a lot of the, you know, from the GOP donor class to the new, you know, the sort of new Republican Party, because it, it goes against their interests. And they they, you know, and. There's just there's huge pushback to it. And like and like you said, you can't like quote some economist that doesn't have to live in a town that that in a town that is that saw all the manufacturing jobs get shipped overseas. Like you can't do that. Like there's there's a whole if the Republican Party wants to keep winning elections, we have to continue winning over voters in the Midwest that have been left behind by, you know, by globalism. We can't talk about a lot of things. We can't talk about, you know free you can't like just go to those people and say hey free markets free people socialism sucks like that's not a, me a winning message to them and i think i think a lot of i think a lot of conservatives are starting to understand this and that doesn't mean that like you have to it, like it's not like an endorsement of like elizabeth warren's like economic plan as like tucker carlson's kind of hinted to it's just you you, you have to get on board with in order for our party to win in order for conservatism to to win, we have to under we have to start reading the room and understand how people are feeling, how people, how the work, how working people are have been, have been getting hit hard in this country, and I think we're starting to do that. I think you know the, the people who still don't believe that are the, the are the the sort of think tank types who live in the nonprofit world and have never been in that world. But I think I think Republicans at large are starting to read the room and are starting to get it, and I hope they do. It, the, I, I I I hope you're right. And I definitely hope they do. And the thing is, there has been the writing on the wall has been there for a while. Like these signs were coming long before Donald Trump that, you know, the base of the Republican Party, you know, the middle America has 
rejected like the eighties and or I mean the the nineties and early two thousands, you know, George Bush compassionate conservatism stuff. That that's been rejected by people in the middle of the country for a while. Like even going back to um it's kind of the opposite side of of Trump, but if going back to to oh eight and twenty twelve, the majority of small dollar donations went to Ron Paul. You know, like the, yeah. like the the big money, the big donors, the think tank people obviously went to your McCain's, your Romney's, your Rick Santorum's of the world. And then in 2016, it went to Marco Rubio, went to Jeb Bush, um, people like that, Scott Walker, you know, people like that. Um, it, so, but like both times with obviously it was like the minarchist libertarian in, in Ron Paul. And then in 2016, it's the populist in Donald Trump. But both times, or for three straight election cycles, the small dollar donations all went to the outsider. They all went to the guy that was bucking the the George Bush style conservatism, uh, just full stop. You know, I mean, you can't get two bigger denunciations of of compassionate conservatism than people donating money to Ron Paul and Donald Trump. I mean, they're opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're both just a, a massive critique of you know the Republicanism of the last couple decades. So it's like, I, I feel like we should have seen this coming and, <laughs> and not just rejected it as, Oh, you know, only all those crazy libertarians, you know, giving money to, to Ron Paul. Well, the majority of active, active duty military uh, donated to Ron Paul as well. Ron Paul raised more money from active duty military than uh, all the other Republican candidates combined in both 08 and 2012. So I feel like not that, I don't know if the ref- future of the Republican Party is going to be libertarian or if it's going to be populist, but it is going to, it's going to adapt. It's going to change. Like, I just don't think, especially, you know, the, the base, the people writing 10, 20, a hundred dollar checks, not writing the, you know, the $2,700 checks, like the think tank guys. Yeah. They've moved away from like the people, establishment going back 12 years now. You know what I mean? Like it's, this isn't a recent phenomenon either. No. Yeah. And like, I think, think about, I think about a lot of people who, you know, have always gotten it and have always have always seen it coming. And like one of those people is Ann Coulter, who like, you know, Ann Col- I, I see she likes to Ann Coulter likes to brag about that all the time on Twitter. So she like posts like videos of her on C-SPAN from like 2005, maybe where she's talking about like if a Republican ran on building a wall, he would win. And like and like people like Pat Buchanan talking in the 90s about like about how, you know, NAFTA was going to like like about how NAFTA was going to destroy jobs in the Midwest and how future elections would be run on you know re- repealing NAFTA essentially or whatever and like so it's just funny to look back on all those people now who people wrote off like people I know. people still think you know Pat Buchanan and Ann Coulter are kind of insane but they 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 always saw it coming they yeah. always saw it coming you got to you got to give them and you got to give them credit for that they've they they've been really the only ones who have understood how people in the country have actually understood the political and economic trends in the country and how that they, and how they've moved over the last 20 years. And it's just funny to look back on like what people, what, you know, some people on the right were saying about them and what they continue to say about them, even though they were, they were right about it. Yeah. And like, we're not even endorsing them. Like I'm not even a big fan of Coulter or Pat Buchanan. You know, I don't necessarily like either one of them. So but, I'm not, yeah, but the- it, you don't even need to like Trump, but face the facts. I mean, just like yeah. look around like they were right. What they predicted actually happened. So, like, you don't have to like them. You don't need to endorse their policies or their policy prescriptions or anything. You don't need to like the president. But l- just take a look around and realize, the, just read the writing on the wall, people. Like, the, too many people have been casting these people aside, ignoring them, laughing at them. 
when they've been right. I mean, they they predicted exactly what was going to happen. So look, and, and we spent more time on this than I thought we were going to. I had a few more things to talk about, but I'll, I'll skip over a couple of them and, and save them for Wednesday. But one more thing uh, before I let you go, Greg. Uh, way off topic. I don't even really have a point here, but I just wanted to bring it up um, just for our you know female listeners. Um, Kamala Harris, the uh, ridiculous senator from California. Horrible, horrible, horrible politician. But... She just Botoxed her face into an expressionless mask uh, over the last week. I mean, she looks... She was on CNN doing some kind of piece on, on something, and she looks like an absolute monster. She looks like the Joker from, like, the 80s Batman movies. I mean, it's like... I, I don't even have a point here. I don't have a point here. But, ladies, please don't do... Just don't do this. Don't do... I've never... I, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, man, but I, I've never seen a woman pre- and post-Botox and been like, oh, yeah, that was a good idea. She looks way better now. Like, I just don't... Why? I don't get... I get we're guys. I We don't think like this. We're probably way less self-conscious than, than women are just generally. But, like, why? I, I just... I don't get it. Yeah, it was... It was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. I remember just, like... I remember just looking at... Looking at my phone one day, and I just saw this, and I was like, what the... When did... When did Kamala... Why did Kamala Harris turn herself into the Jack Nicholson Joker? <laughs> it's just like... And just like, ladies. Ladies. Trust me, no, no guys generally do not find women who are so like heavily botoxed. We we don't no no do maybe some dudes find that attractive, but maybe uh, speaking from experience, I've never found that attractive. I don't think it looks that good. I know I'm not a woman, so I don't really understand. I understand like how women's when as as they get older would get self conscious about like their wrinkles or get self conscious about like about just how they look with age, but trust me, you, you, you look a lot better than you would look by shooting yourself up with Botox as evidenced by Kamala Harris's new Kamala Harris's new uh, Joker look she's got going over there. And like, she's like how I think she's 52. Like she, she was pretty for 52. You know, she was attractive yeah. no, for she, an older lady. Looked, it's not like she yeah. looked like old and ragged or something. It's like, I, I just don't even understand. Like, it's just it's sad, man. It bums me out when I, when, I see, when I see women do this themselves. So I just only wanted to bring this up just to uh, just to encourage uh, our female listeners. Please, just trust me. You look fine the way you are. Don't do this to yourself. If you need reason not to do this to yourself, just Google uh, Kamala Harris, a picture of her from the last week, and just trust me. Let's let's put the Botox industry out, out of business. Let's just bankrupt all those all those people. So anyway, uh, before I let you go, Greg, thanks so much for doing this, man. I'm sure we'll do it again soon. Uh, where can everybody uh, follow you online and keep in touch and uh, check out the Daily Caller and all that good stuff? Oh uh, yeah, so just Greg underscore Price Eleven on Twitter. Follow the Daily Caller. Um, subscribe to the Daily Caller for nine ninety nine a month and get all, all our content behind the paywall. You know we're. We, believe it or not, there are people out there whose full-time jobs are to try and destroy the Daily Caller. And if when you subscribe to us, you give us, you, you give, you know, you give us a when, when you when you per, when you buy our content, when you use our content, you make it, you, you, you make those those you make those the, you make their lives harder trying to trying to, to platform us. So nine ninety nine a month, you can become a Daily Caller patron. We have great content. We we do great journalism every day. We do. We tell the stories that the mainstream media won't. So definitely read the Daily Caller, subscribe if you want to, follow us on social media, all that stuff. We're cranking out content every single day, doing some great work. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, definitely do it if for no other reason than to make uh, Media Matters lives harder. And the the journalism, too. Like, you guys have been doing pretty good journalism lately. It's not just opinion stuff. And you are, you've are you broken some stories that 
the corporate press just refuses to cover at all. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's made me laugh a few times. You know what I mean? Like people like the New York Times and the Washington Post and all these these hack job former newspapers. I mean, they have you know a hundred times the resources you guys have. You know what I mean? And you they'll you know you'll break a story that it's like really like the Times couldn't find this information. Like they 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 couldn't they couldn't do any digging at all. Uh, so it's funny what what stories need to be broken by outlets like the Daily Caller in this day and age. It's kind of pathetic. But everybody follow Greg. He's great. Everybody check out the Daily Caller. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.